Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, Spiritual. Well, we're continuing the series we've been in now three or four weeks called Changing the Way You Think. It's a series based on 1 Corinthians. And if you've been here, you kind of know the drill by this point. It's basically the, the, the church of Corinth. These were people that had come to Christ that had a very, very pagan background. And so they came to Christ and uh, had a very powerful experience. A lot of supernatural things happened. Uh, God moved in their hearts big time and so on. So they'd come to Christ, had a very powerful conversion. But now we're three or four years down the road. The Apostle Paul has been gone for two or three years. And they've really sort of never grown up spiritually. They, uh, they had a conversion, but they've never really changed the way they thought about life. And so the end result is that the same problems that their culture had were in the church, and their personal lives were still pretty messed up. And so one of the problems that they had, as you go through the book, you see this over and over again, is that they had a, a very uh, kind of self-inflated uh, uh, view of themselves, uh, kind of a big head. They were, they were arrogant. They saw themselves as incredibly mature, and the reality was they were incredibly immature. And so um, it raises this question for us, uh, as they see themselves as so spiritual, and the reality is they're unspiritual, it raises the question, well, what does it mean to be a spiritual person? You know, how do you measure that? Like in your life, um, how do you know if you're a spiritually mature person? Um, when you're talking with someone else, uh, how, do they, how do they measure it? How does the church, how sh- as a church, how should we measure it? And it's such an important issue, because depending on what you measure is what you tend to end up with. And so the way a church defines spirituality, the way a person defines spirituality, is what we end up becoming. And if we define it the wrong way, guess what? We're in trouble. It's like we, we, we just drew a target on the wrong building. We've hit the target, but you know, kind of missed the whole, the whole point. And so today we're going to talk about what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? So we've, we've talked about, hey, the Church of Jesus, chapter 1, is supposed to be countercultural, right? And then we said the Church of Jesus, chapter 2, is supposed to be supernatural. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to be the Church of Jesus to be spiritual. Now, if you take your Bibles and turn to uh, chapter 3, and we're only looking at the first four verses today, so kind of slowing down the pace. We've been taking almost a chapter a week. We'll pick up the pace again the next, uh, next time I'm with you. And, uh, and we'll be doing back to the chapter a week sort of thing for a while. But today we're just looking at the first four verses of chapter three. So let's, uh, let's jump in there. He says, brothers, uh, I could not address you as spiritual. So there's our word. Uh, he says, I know you think of yourselves as spiritual. I would love to think of you as spiritual. I, I'd love to call you spiritual, but the fact is you're not really spiritual. You're not being led by the Spirit as a church. He says, but actually, um, you're worldly. Now, the word there is uh, it's literally fleshly. So, you know, in the Bible, you have the flesh and the Spirit. They fight against each other. We'll be looking at later. So it's that word fleshly, but this translated here, worldly. So you're worldly. You're like the people around you. In fact, you're mere infants in Christ. I know you think you're grown up spiritually, but you're actually just babes. He says, now when I was there, I gave you milk and not solid food. So I gave you basic spiritual teaching, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. Now, this raises a really interesting question to me. It's like, how come they saw themselves as so spiritual, and Paul sees them as so worldly or fleshly? Like, 
they look in the mirror spiritually, look in the spiritual mirror, and they say, wow, we are really, we are spiritual people. We're being led by the Spirit. We're amazing. And Paul looks and says, you are not amazing. You are so far from amazing. And so, so what was it that tipped him off? What was the hot tip? How, how could he look at these people and say, you know, you're not spiritual? What was it that, that keyed him off, that, that, that kind of showed him that they weren't spiritual? Well, the answer is very simple. It was the quality of their relationships. And this is what we're going to see today as we come back to it over and over again, is that it's impossible to be spiritual. It's impossible to be led by the Spirit if our relationships are all messed up. You see? So they were measuring their spirituality with the wrong scale, so to speak. Their their scale was off. They had the wrong ruler, the wrong yardstick. And so he goes on and he says this. You're still worldly, verse 3. And here he talks about the relationships. For, for there's jealousy and there's quarreling among you. You're not getting along as a church. You have all kinds of conflict. He says, so are you not worldly? You're just like the people around you. Are you not acting like mere men? Are, you're just acting like the normal human beings, not like children of God. Now he gives an example of this. This is one example of the way they're fighting we saw this back in chapter 1. Remember, they were separating over their leaders. I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, so like, as if they're political party, like they're Republicans and Democrats or something. And he says, uh, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not acting like mere men? Now, as you go through the letter, we'll see this is not the only issue that they were fighting over. There were all kinds of issues. They're fighting over leadership issues like this. In chapter 6, when we get there, we're fighting, they're actually suing each other and taking each other to court. You're not a really good thing for a church to be doing. Uh, we get to chapter 8, and they're, gonna, they're fighting over lifestyle issues, like is it okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols or not? And we'll talk about that more later today. When you get into chapter 12, they're fighting over uh, uh, spiritual gifts. And what are the best spiritual gifts, and who's most important in the church? Uh, in chapter 11, the, the rich and the poor are dividing over this issue. So as you go through the letter, their, their relationships are thoroughly messed up throughout their whole, this whole letter. And Paul says, that's how I know you're worldly. That's how I know you're not really spiritual, because if you're led by the Spirit, this wouldn't be happening. You see, they were measuring themselves on the wrong scale. Their scale was off. Uh, several months ago, uh, I did a message, and I talked about this new scale I got a few, a few months ago. Some of you remember that? Uh, there was, you know, the Tanita Iron Man scale. Uh, it was very popular. I think it's uh, the favorite story from when I told you. I don't know if you remember anything else I've taught in the last year, but you all remember about the scale. And uh, for those of you who weren't here, I got this scale, and it, it, it's one of those scales that's just amazing. Now, it doesn't even just measure your, your weight. Um, you know, it's just kind of old school. Um, but it measures, it measures everything. I mean, it measures, like, your body fat, and it measures um, your bone density, and it even measures your metabolic age, like how old your body really is. And, uh, of course, it only goes up to 50. I don't know if they're afraid of getting sued or what. But uh, if you're over metabolically, if you're beyond 50, it just says 50, which really ticked me off because I'm not 50 and I'm over 50 on this scale. And what really ticks me off is my father, who's 76, is 37 on this scale. <laughs> And so I mentioned this, I mentioned this scale in a sermon, and, and from that point on, the next, about the next two months, you know, on Saturday nights, after the Saturday night service, we often have these things called welcome desserts, where new people at the Rocky Peak have been a couple times, they come to our house, we have to meet them, and, and learn about the little church, about the church, stuff like that. It's a great time. Well, for the next two months, every group that came wanted to see the scale. 
They, like, they, you know, I didn't care about the church. Just where's the scale? And so I kept it out in our kitchen. Uh, it was like a conversation piece. And it always was the same way that most people were afraid to get on the scale. You have to take your, your uh, shoes and socks off. You have to be barefoot. And, uh, and, and I have to ask you both your height and also your age and then program that in. So you can see how most people didn't want to get on the scale. But there's always one or two people that were just brave souls. They wanted to get on the scale. And so they'd get on. And then everyone else would get excited when they'd see this amazing printout that would come out. And so then several people would line up usually and we'd start doing the scale. Well, this way the scale is, is that there's four presets on it. So like if you have a family, you don't have to program it in every time. So like I'm number one, I sit number one, and then it, it zeroes out, and then I get on it, and it tells me how I'm doing or not doing. And, uh, and so there's four of those, but if you have a guest get on your scale, you have to program it in. And so, uh, you know, height, weight, and so on. Well, anyway, so this one time, I had this guy get on the scale, and he looks fairly normal. And he is like off the charts in body fat. Okay, he's just super high. He was the highest person I'd ever had on my scale. And uh, so I, I'm kind of freaking out. He's over 40%. He looked pretty normal, you know, but he's over 40%. And so I hated to be the bearer of bad news. I told him he, he took it pretty well. I, took, I grabbed the pie out of his hand. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> hey, just sit down right here, you know. I'm going to call 911. Um, you know, we don't want any strokes at a welcome dessert. You know, it just really kills it. No one else come after that. And so, uh, so, you know, anyway, so later on, after the evening's gone, it's the next couple of days, it just dawns on me, I know why it was so high. I had the scale set wrong. I, I, I forgot there was this one thing that I was supposed to push. And we'd say, when you get on it, you have to, if it's a guest, you have to say male, female, or super athlete, like a triathlete. And, of course, if you don't do that, it's going to throw off the reading. And so I'd forgotten that. The poor guy is probably getting measured as a woman or something. I don't know. So a few weeks later, I see him at church. I tell him the good news, you know, that, and uh, he's doing well. That He's out of therapy, and, uh, and he's, he's coming back, you know, so far. But Okay, so what's the point? Here, <laughs> it's like, I don't know, women are gone. No, uh, here's the point. Is that uh, I thought this guy was really out of shape because I had the scale set wrong, right? It could have been the other way around. It could have been like, I thought he was really in shape, if I'd said that some other way. See, if the scale's wrong, if the way you're measuring yourself and weighing yourself is wrong, it doesn't really matter. You're getting a wrong reading. Well, that's what was going on at the church of Corinth. They were measuring themselves, spirit, you know, as, in terms of their spirituality. They really wanted to be spiritual people, but they were measuring what, on a scale that was set wrong. You see, they were measuring the wrong things. We'll, we'll look later at what they're measuring, but they were measuring things like spiritual experiences and power in their lives, super, spiritual gifts. They had a lot of those spiritual gifts. They assumed, hey, if I've got the gifts, I must be spiritual. Uh, there was spiritual knowledge. God had showed them a lot of truth, a lot of spiritual truth. They assumed that, hey, since we have so much spiritual truth, we must be spiritual. So they, they were measuring themselves, but the wrong, with the wrong scale. See, the thing was off. So what I'm going to do is I want to jump in. What they didn't realize is this core teaching of today, is that if we're going to measure our spirituality, a key part of that has to be the quality of our relationships. Because if our relationships are off, if they're out of whack, there's no way we're being led by the Spirit. It doesn't matter what else is happening in our life, you see? So to uh, study this, let's take our Bibles, and we're going to go to the book of Galatians. So it's to the right a little bit. Just a little bit to the right, uh, small little book, six chapters. Galatians chapter 5. 
And we're moving that section there on your note sheet called Led by the Spirit. What's it look like? So the question is, okay, what is it, if it doesn't look like this, what does it look like to be led by the Spirit? How do you know if you're led by the Spirit? How do you know if you're a spiritual person? And Paul has a section in chapter 5 of Galatians that really addresses this, what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. So chapter 5 and verse 16. So he says, so I say, live by the Spirit, or, you know, live by the Spirit. Later on, he'll say, be led by the Spirit, same idea. Live by the Spirit or be led by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature, literally your flesh. Remember, just like back in Corinthians, that you're acting fleshly. Literally, it's his flesh here again. For the sinful nature, verse 17, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. He says, when we come to Christ, um, give our life to Jesus. If you've already given your life to Christ, this has happened. If you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, then this will happen when you do give your life to Jesus. But when you give your life to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, comes to dwell, comes to live inside of you. And he brings with him a whole new set of values and priorities. New desires. He, the Holy Spirit brings his desires with him. And so he says that you have these new desires, the desires of the Spirit, but you have your old desires from your old life, your old nature. And he says these are in conflict with one another. They're often at odds with one another. The Spirit's going to be leading you one way. The old nature's going to be leading you another. You can't just do what you want. That you, You're going to have to follow the Spirit. It's not just going to happen automatically. And so then in verse 19, he starts to help us understand what does it look like then when we're being led by the flesh? What does it look like when we're being led by the old nature and not by the spirit? He says the acts of the sinful nature or the flesh, they're obvious. And he gives some examples. Here's some sexual immorality. Okay, pretty obvious. Uh, Impurity. Uh, debauchery, like partying, wild partying. He says, you know what, pretty much, you can, be, you can just bet on this. That if you're out doing sexual immorality, you're doing impurity, you're doing partying, it's like you're not being loved by the Spirit. Okay? That, the Spirit doesn't lead people to do that kind of thing. Okay, next one. Then he gives a couple religious ones. He says, uh, here's a couple, idolatry and witchcraft. You know, as human beings, we were created to worship. If we don't worship God, we're going to worship something. And so we're going to create gods in our own image, right? And that's what idolatry is. We're, we're creating our own gods. Uh, what's witchcraft? It's a manipulation of spiritual power. He says this is a work of, not of God. It's not of the spirit. It's a work of the flesh. But then notice what he does. The next thing, he, he hones in on relational issues, relational values. He says, how do you know when you're being led by the Spirit? Well, when these things in your life, it's not happening. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Now, who does that sound like? <laughs> that sounds like the Church of Corinth, doesn't it? Isn't that the Church of Corinth? It's like, you look at that list again. Uh, hatred, discord, jealousy. He just told us in chapter 3, you got jealousy going on in your, in your congregation. Uh, fits of rage. Uh, don't see that so much. Selfish ambition that is driving to be number one, the smartest, the wisest, very much. Dissensions, of course. Factions, yeah, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus. Um, envy, he just mentioned that in chapter 3. Was going to see, this is a description of the relationships that were going on in the church of Corinth. And so here is the church of Corinth, and they're saying, hey, we are spiritual people. We're amazing. 
Paul says, no, you're not. You're worldly. How did he figure it out? Well, it was pretty easy. You just look at the relationships and say, look what's going on there. Look at the quality of relationships. You are not being led by the Spirit. You're not spiritual people. You're spiritually immature. Why? Because the quality of your relationships are so poor. And this interesting thing, this tie in Scripture between spirituality and relationships. And the interesting thing, often in our churches, we don't make that tie. We measure spirituality by other things. We use the wrong scale. See? There in your notes, it's a section, How Not to Measure Your Spiritual Maturity. We're going to take the Church of Corinth, and we're going to look at a couple common ways that churches or, or Christians will often measure their maturity, our maturity, that are really wrong ways. They're using the wrong scale. And these flow right out of the Church of Corinth. Okay, the first one. Here's mistake number one. Mistake number one is to confuse spiritual maturity with spiritual gifts, power, or experiences. The first mistake that is very common in Christian circles is we often assume if someone has a lot of spiritual gifts or spiritual power or spiritual experiences, they must be a spiritual person. And Paul says, no, no, no. Uh, Wrong. Big time wrong. And so um, the, the church of Corinth had all kinds of spiritual uh, gifts and experiences and power, um, but they weren't spiritual. I want you to take your Bibles. Let's go back and see this so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, spiritual gifts and spiritual power and experiences are a great thing. I think you know me well enough by now to understand this, that I'm a big fan of this, that yes, we need the supernatural in our life. We spent all this week talking about that. And so it's not that we don't need these things. It's not that they're not important. It's just that they're no sign or guarantee of spiritual maturity. Uh, now, so we'll see here in chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul's very thankful for how God's works supernaturally in their midst. He says, I always thank God for you because of the grace given you in Christ Jesus. Remember, grace sometimes means God's love that we don't deserve, but sometimes it means the gifts of God's love that we don't deserve, and the, the power, the energizing, the working of his spirit that comes from that grace. So he says, and that's how he's using it here. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. So he, he graced you when he came into your life. For in him, you've been enriched in every way. Your life is better. And he focuses on two areas that are very pivotal for us today. He says, you've been enriched in your speaking and you've been enriched in your knowledge. Now, these are two ways that God really showed up big time in the life of the church of Corinth. He showed up supernaturally with spiritual gifts, speaking gifts, gifts of tongues, gifts of interpretation, gifts of prophecy, speaking gifts, supernatural speaking gifts, okay? He also showed up big time in spiritual knowledge, opening their mind to spiritual truth and giving them spiritual downloads, like the gift of knowledge, we call that. We'll see it later on in the book of Corinthians. And so God had supernaturally gifted them in areas of speaking and in areas of knowledge. He says in verse 6, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. God showed up and confirmed the truth through these gifts. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So Paul says, I'm really thankful because when, when, when God came to you, when the Spirit came to you in Corinth, it was amazing. God showed up. He graced you. He graced you with speaking gifts. He graced you with spiritual knowledge. You're not lacking any spiritual gift. And I'm so thankful for that. It's a good thing. Now, later on in the book, he's going to correct all the misuses of those gifts. 
But to start with, he says, I'm so thankful that God gave you these supernatural experiences. They're a great thing. But here's the mistake the Corinthians made. The Corinthians made the mistake of thinking because of all these supernatural gifts they're experiencing, therefore that made them spiritual people. You see? And it's a very common mistake that's made in the church of Jesus Christ. So we've often fallen this, that, that we'll, uh, we'll assume that if someone is uh, gifted spiritually, or has spiritual gifts, they must be a spiritually mature person. Not the case. When I was uh, growing up and moving into adolescence, I went through a really dark time, uh, kind of a dark time, kind of a dark night of the soul in my life. It lasted for seven years, very painful years, uh, really intense years. And, um, and during that time, I really began to seek after God in a new way because uh, I was, some of the challenges I was running into my life, you know, I knew the word really well. I, I had had a good walk with God up to that point, but my life just wasn't working. It just wasn't working. You know, adolescent hits, all kinds of powers and new things are hitting you. And you got peer pressure and you got sexuality and you got intellectual questions about Christianity and all these things were hitting me. And I just like, I just, I didn't have the power to deal with this stuff. And so I began this search for God, like there's got to be something more in this Christianity thing. And about that time, uh, my mom and I began going to a, mid- a midweek service at another church in our community. And uh, this church would have world-class speakers from all over the world would come in and they would speak. And uh, often their message was the same, is that if you want to be mature spiritually, if you want spiritual power, you need this particular experience with the Holy Spirit. You, you need this, and often you're going to have the gift of tongues with it, or that kind of deal. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm just young, you know, read my Bible, it sounds good to me. And I'll tell you, I went forward many, many times over the next seven years. Now, God never showed up that way in my life. But I went forward many times to be prayed for. But underneath was this assumption on their part and mine, I was buying into it, that if you want to be spiritually mature, you need some kind of a spiritual experience. You need some sort of amazing supernatural experience. And if you get that experience, then you'll be mature. You see? It's an assumption. It's the assumption the Corinthians made. That because God would, and, and if you do have an experience like that, then often there can be an assumption, oh, I must be mature now because I had this experience. And what Paul wants us to understand is, no, no, no. That spiritual gifts, spiritual power, spiritual experiences, they're awesome. They're great things. They're an important part of our spiritual life. But there is no correlation between spiritual experiences and spiritual maturity. And the perfect example is the church of Corinth. Here they had a ton of spiritual experience, but they were the most immature, one of the most immature churches in the New Testament. You see? So good thing, yes, good thing, but don't make, and here's why it's so important. Because I've seen this over and over again, that there is such a natural tendency when we see God show up in power that we tend to assume that that person must be spiritual, or that we're spiritual. Uh, for example, uh, have you ever, uh, uh, you've maybe heard of a famous speaker who's just an amazingly gifted speaker for God, tremendous speaking gifts. God's really using them. And everyone will assume that, well, then he must be a really spiritual person, you know, because he's able to speak so well. And then you find out there's been like an affair going on for 15 years, or there's been some kind of financial... What have we done? We've assumed that giftedness means spirituality. You see? doesn't. Giftedness is giftedness. We'll see someone and they have tremendous spiritual gifts. They, can, they have the gifts of healing and that can actually heal people. And we'll assume, well, that person must be spiritual because, look, I mean, how, would, how could they heal someone if they, don't, if they weren't spiritual? 
I will see someone and they'll say they have this vision of Christ and it's a real deal. Or they have prophetic gifts or they have some kind of, you see what I'm saying, some supernatural. And we will make the assumption that that person must be mature. But I want you to catch this. There is no correlation between giftedness and maturity. And the perfect example here is is, uh, the, the church at Corinth. So spiritual experience is great, a very important part of our life. But just don't make the assumption that if you've had them, you're spiritual. If you haven't, you aren't spiritual, you see. It's very important. Okay, second, second mistake we often make is to mistake spiritual maturity with spiritual knowledge. The, the second assumption we often make is that the more spiritual knowledge we get, the more spiritual we become. Now again, I want you to hear me on this. Spiritual knowledge is a great thing. We all want to grow up in our spiritual knowledge, our knowledge of the word, uh, our knowledge of prayer, uh, our knowledge of theology and apology. It's all good stuff and it's important stuff. It's all important part of it. So hear me on this. Just like spiritual power is a good thing, so spiritual knowledge is, uh, is a good thing. But the assumption that if we gain more knowledge, we will be more spiritual can kill us. And this is what had happened in the church of Corinth. They were really into knowledge. We just read that in chapter 1, that they, God had enriched them in every way, right? And it said that, you've been, uh, that God has blessed you, uh, made you, enriched you in all your speaking and all your knowledge. And so this was a church that was really big time into spiritual knowledge. It's very important to them. In fact, it's one of the reasons they had so much conflict in their church. And the reason is, is they defined it, they, they assumed that the more knowledge you have, the more spiritual you become. And so the driving force in their life, their value, was they wanted to be right on every issue. Now, when you define spiritual maturity by being right on every issue, it leads to divisions, doesn't it? In your church, because it's not just the core things. Obviously, who Jesus is and who God is and how we're saved. And we have to have unity in those things, right? That core stuff. The core moral code of the New Testament. Obviously, there's non-negotiables there. We can't negotiate. It's like, oh, whatever you want to bullet. No, no, no. We have to be united. But the Corinthians thought it was important that you were right on every secondary issue in your life. And if you were ever wrong, then you weren't spiritual. And so they were driven to be right, and what it led to is division. So that's why they're fighting over everything. Who's the best leader? Oh, no, no, I, I'm right. You're, uh, uh, you know, meat sacrifice to idols. No, this is the truth. Spiritual gifts, which is the most important? They were fighting over every little issue because in their paradigm, to be spiritually mature meant you had to be right. And what it often causes in our life is when you have a church that defines spirituality that way, you watch and see, it becomes a very harsh and brittle church. It will lead to division every time. If we define maturity the wrong way, it will lead to strife in the church and division. Let's take a look at a passage here, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This is an issue for them all through the book. Uh, but in chapter 8, we, we come to an issue. We'll deal with this more later, obviously, in the series. But one of the issues they argued over was meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, in that day, there would be pagan temples. There were all these sacrifices. They, didn't, uh, the, they wouldn't eat all the meat. And so a lot of the meat was taken from there and sold at the meat market, kind of half-price deal. And, uh, and so some of the Christians felt like, hey, it's a great deal. Let's you know, buy more. Uh, you know, it's, it's cheap meat and nothing wrong with it. 
And, uh, and so their idols aren't anything, and so what's a big deal? Let's just buy the meat, you know? Other Christians feel like, oh no, it's got like spiritual cooties or something, you know? And so uh, if we eat that idol meat, we'll become like idolaters or the, you know, the, the, whatever. And so there was this disagreement. You can understand kind of both points of view, and they had this bis- big disagreement in the church, but they were fighting over it. They were dividing over it. And Paul's going to tell them, this is not an issue worth dividing over. It's like hold your opinion as to what you think before God, and that's fine, but you know, live by your conscience in it, but don't fight over it. But look what he says here. They, they were also big into knowledge. He says, uh, now about uh, chapter 8 and verse 1, now about food sacrifice to idols. He says, we know that we all possess knowledge. He says, oh yeah, we're all so smart here. <laughs> we're, all, you know, we're all brilliant uh, uh, here. That's what he's saying. But he says, you know, here's the problem. Knowledge puffs up. He says, the problem with getting smarter is you tend to get, it gives you a big head. He says, the more you know, it tends to puff you up. You tend to get arrogant. He says, of course, spiritual knowledge is a good thing, right? But he says, it brings with it this temptation to puff us up. We get an inflated ego. He says, but love, on the other hand, now that builds people up. When you love others, that builds people up. Now, the man who thinks he knows something, he's just so smart, does not yet know as he ought to know. In other words, if you think you know something, you've got a lot to learn. See, that's the point. He says, you know, later on in chapter 13, he'll say, hey, we know in part, we see in part. He says, yes, we, the spiritual truth, we, we know spiritual truth, but we know so limited. God's just shown us so little. He says, let's keep things in perspective. Verse 3, but the man who loves God is known by God. And he says, the most important thing in life is love God. And if you love God, guess what? He will know your name. And what's really important in life is not what you know, but what he knows, you know, that he knows you. And so Paul's challenging him. He says, you guys are all into knowledge. You think that knowledge is the key to spirituality, that the more you know, the more spiritual you are. This is not true. He says, I mean, stop and think about it. Haven't we all known lots of people that have a lot of spiritual knowledge, and yet you don't want to be around them? They're just no fun to be around. Uh, They're just hard to get along with. John Ortberg tells a story in one of his books about a guy in a church. You know, John is a pastor. Uh, he, he was at Willow Creek. Now he's at Menlo Park. But in one of his earlier days, he, he was a, a church and a pastor. In fact, he pastored a church in Simi Valley. And I don't know if the story is from them, then or not. But, um, but one day, he, he tells a story about the guy in his congregation named Hank. Now, Hank came to church every week. He was a regular, very involved in the church. Probably the sort of guy that had quite a bit of spiritual knowledge, would be my hunch. You know, you've been through a lot of sermons, been going your whole life to church and that kind of thing. And I'm sure Hank would see himself as a spiritually mature person. Hank was just hard to get along with. He, he was really kind of a miserable guy. He, he just, you know, uh, bad relationships wherever he wanted. He was not a positive guy. He was afraid that if he ever affirmed you in any way, gave you a compliment, you'd get a big head. So he wanted to make sure he kept you humble. You know, that kind of a guy. And just a complainer, just a complainer about all kinds of things. One of the things that Hank complained about was music. He didn't like the music, it was too loud. And so he would complain all the time about the music, how loud it was. And the thing was, he wouldn't just complain to staff or elders or, or usher. He, he would complain to like visitors, you know. So like visitors come in, he's like, don't you think this music's too loud? And so John's like, man, we've got to cut this off. And so he goes to him and he says, you know, Hank, this, this is out of control. You know, if you want to complain, complain to your friends or something like, or, you know, staff. Or, but you, know, you can't complain to visitors. It's really not appropriate. And so he thinks he solves this problem. Well, a few weeks later, John's sitting in his office. His secretary buzzes him and, and says, hey, there's someone from OSHA here to see you. 
And he's thinking, OSHA, uh, what would be the unsafe work environment here? And so this guy comes in his office, he says, from OSHA, and John says, excuse me, but um, did someone from my staff call you and say that we have a complaint about an unsafe work environment? And he says, no, no, uh, no one from your staff. And John's really perplexed, and the guy starts talking about decibel levels. And he starts talking about, uh, you know, uh, how the music, st- or, uh, when, uh, when, when sound is too loud, it can hurt your ears. Like at airports, you know, if it goes beyond a certain por- uh, point, or uh, at uh, rock concerts, or things like this. And John's just so perplexed, he's like, I, what? I don't get this thing. And all of a sudden the light goes on, and it's like Hank, you know, it's Hank. And so John gets a smile on his face, and he, he doesn't want to come across like he's not taking this seriously. So he says to the guy from OSHA, he says, I'm really sorry, but you just have to understand, I've never had a federal agent come and talk to us about our sound levels. And the guy says, you think you feel awkward? You just see the ribbing I'm taking in my office, so I'm out busting a church today. You know? <laughs> but haven't you known people like that? Like Hank, it's like in church every week, you know, reading the Bible, got the theology down, can't get along with anybody. Say harsh people, brittle people. Hank, he goes on to describe Hank. He said, you know, Hank didn't get along with his wife, didn't get along with his kids. In fact, he had a grown son who had an amazing story how he's, how he's met his wife. Uh, the son had met his wife the first time um, at a dance, but he'd never told his dad this incredible story because his dad was so against dancing. He just knew it wouldn't have gone over. So here's this guy that I'm sure would see himself as a spiritually mature person in church every week, and yet measuring by the wrong scale. See, measuring spirituality the wrong way. And this is what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand. You Corinthians, you see yourself as really spiritual. You're getting on the wrong scale. It's the wrong setting. It's not set right. You're measuring your spiritual power and supernatural gifts and experiences. You're measuring by your spiritual knowledge and you know so much. He says, you know what? It's all about your relationships. If you are being led by the Spirit, that's going to be shown in your relationship. So let's go to this last section. What is the mark of true spirituality then? Let's talk about this. If it's not spiritual power, experience, or giftedness, if it's not spiritual knowledge, then what is the mark of true spirituality? I'm going to throw a couple words at you, okay? So we'll jot them down. The first word is going to be a common word, and I hate using common words because you think I know what I'm going to say. And it's like, you think, okay, I got that one, yeah, and your mind tends to, it's like, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll wake up when the next word comes. So, so hang with me here, okay? Because we're going to look at a really fascinating passage. But the word that the Apostle Paul is going to come back through throughout the book of Corinth to kind of correct this church and their, their way of thinking. See, we're talking about how to change the way you think. To what does it look like to be a spiritual person? The person he's going to, the word he's going to use over and over again is the word love, okay? He's going to say, that if you want to measure your spirituality, you need to measure it by your love. Now, I want us to go to a passage in 1 Corinthians, one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. Okay? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, it's the love chapter. It's often read at weddings and then quickly forgotten. Now, the interesting thing about studying Scripture is it's always so important if you want to get more out of Scripture to study it in context. And so let's, let's stop and think about the context of 1 Corinthians 13. And we always read it in weddings, just take it out of context, nothing wrong with that, but it still works. 
But if you want to understand why 1 Corinthians 13 was, was written and what its message really is, you have to understand the context. Remember, Paul is writing to a group of people, and they are really taken. They're enamored with public speaking. Remember we studied that last week? They, public speakers who are really gifted speakers, you know, they were upset with Paul. He's not one of these guys. They're really taken with public speaking. They're really taken with speaking gifts, supernatural gifts, tongues, prophecy. They're really taken with knowledge. Okay, spirituality is defined by knowledge, right? So that's the context that Paul writes this chapter on love later on in the book. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. He says, if I'm the, like the most gifted speaker in all of Corinth, okay? If I speak in the tongue of angels. In other words, I speak with these, uh, the gift of tongues, speaking with languages I've never even learned. So I'm an amazing speaker, but I have not love. He says, all I amount to is a resounding gong. Think of the gong show. <laughs> I'm a resounding gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. I'm just a noisemaker. I'm a meaningless noise. He said, it doesn't matter how gifted a speaker I am. It doesn't matter if I have the gift of tongues. It doesn't make any difference. If I don't have love, he says, I'm a nothing. I'm a zero. Verse 2, okay, if I have the gift of prophecy, again, supernatural, and I can fathom all mysteries and all, here's our word, knowledge. You see that? I have all spiritual knowledge. I know everything about everything. I know every Bible verse. I have all my theology set. I've got my apologetics down. I know church history. I know everything about everything, spiritually. I've got all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, and I'm supernaturally gifted, I can do miracles. Hey, but I don't have love. I am what? What's the, what's the word? I am nothing, you see? So, see, the Corinthians, they're measuring their spirituality by the supernatural, which is a good thing. They're measuring it by their knowledge, which is a good thing. But they're not the way to measure spirituality. You have to come back to the relational component, you see? People who are led by the Spirit are people who are living a life of love. Let me throw another word at you. I said I'm going to a couple words. First word is love. Second word, similar word, is unity. That what we will see is that people who are spiritual people are people who promote unity as opposed to dissension. So the church at Corinth was all about dissension. It was all about division. And they were promoting it. I'm a Paul. I'm a Paulus. Separating over issues. Let's take a uh, one, look at one last passage. Go to the right in your Bible to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. And I want you to see, we're going to see in this passage, a connection between the spirit and unity. Being a spiritual person and a person who pursues unity. Chapter 4 and verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He says, hey, you're Christians. Act like it. You're Christians. Let's live up to your calling. You know, God's got an amazing calling in your life. Live a life that's worthy of that calling. Well, how do we do that, Paul? Well, he says it starts with some attitudes. You need to be completely humble. You need to be gentle. See, there's a relational, relational components here. We're to be patient. We're to be bearing with one another in love. You see that? They're all relational issues. But here comes our, our verse. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What does it look like to live a worthy life? He says you've got to make every effort to maintain 
the unity. That's what it looks like. He says, so, I know you're going to be tempted to break the unity in a variety of ways, but he said, if you're really being led by the Spirit, if you're a spiritual person, the mark of a spiritual person is they, they do all they can to preserve the unity. You see? So two words, love and unity. Now, this is such an important uh, message for us as a church, Iraqi Peak. I, I, you're probably catching this, uh, you're, you're catching this. As we go through this, this series, I've got an agenda, okay? And the agenda is to continue to hold up a dysfunctional church, Church of Corinth, and we're going to listen in in their counseling session as Paul says, no, let me tell you what a functional church, what a healthy church looks like, Okay? And we get to listen in and we get to say, what does it look like as a church, as we move into our future, these next 20 years together, as we move into this future together, what does it look like? What are we supposed to look like as a church? And so in chapter 1, we said, well, we're supposed to be countercultural. If we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ at Rocky Peak, we need to be countercultural. We're going to be different than the culture around us. Not different for different sake, but because different because of different values. In chapter 2, he said, if we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ at Rocky Peak, we're going to be supernatural. And now, today, we come and we say, if we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ at Rocky Peak, we're going to be, we need to be spiritual. Well, what does that look like? It looks like relationships. See? It looks like Learning how to get along. It, learns, it looks like learning how not to create divisions but to maintain unity. It looks like learning to forgive one another. It looks like learning to bear with one another and be patient with one another and be humble and not be proud. You see, that's what it looks like to be spiritual. These are the things that it says. One of my favorite commentators in the New Testament is a man named William Barclay. He wrote a fair, you know, many years ago. So his language is a little outdated. He also... Is, uh, I don't agree with all of his theology. So I just want to say that in case you know who he is. But he's, always, he's also one of my favorite commentators. He just has great insights. Uh, and I put this quote there on your note sheet. I want us to end with it. So it's a little old-fashioned and so on. Just go along with it, okay? He said, you can tell what a man's relations with God are by looking at his relations with his fellow man. He said, you can tell he's spiritual or not. If he's at variance with his fellow men, if he's quarrelsome, if he's argumentative, if he's a troublemaking creature, he may be a diligent church attender, remember like Hank. He may even be a church office bearer. He could be an elder. He could be a pastor, be a Sunday school teacher, whatever. Life group leader, but he's not a man of God. But if a man is at one with his fellow men, if his relations with them are marked by love and unity and concord, then he's on his way to becoming, to being a man of God. Isn't that great? You see, and so as we define spiritual maturity here at the Church of Rocky Peak, it's very important how we define it. Do we define it by spiritual power? Do we define it by spiritual knowledge? Or do we define it, as the Apostle Paul defines it here, as the ability to love one another? You see? Extremely important how we define this as a church because what we put on the wall as a target is what we'll be aiming at and that's what we'll become. It's so important that we shoot for the right things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that just corrects us and instructs us. God, who would have guessed? I think most of us, me included, Lord, would be impressed with spiritual power, 
spiritual experiences the supernatural. We'd be impressed with spiritual knowledge. And they're all good things, and they're all part of our walk, and yet you bring us back and you say, if you want to be my church, Church of Rocky Peak, then be a church that learns how to do relationships in new ways. Love one another. Put up with one another. Be patient with one another. Be people of humility. Don't feel like you have to be always right. Let people be wrong sometimes. It's okay. Love one another. And Jesus, we probably never would have figured that out on our own. And so we're thankful for your word that instructs us and teaches us. Lord, we pray that we could be that kind of a church, a church that's pleasing to you, a church of power, a church of knowledge, but overall a church of love. We pray this in your name. Amen. You know, as we go, I just want to remind you that uh, next week, Pastor Dave Cox will be bringing a special uh, message on the Da Vinci Code. The, uh, see, uh, Brent and Dave and I went and uh, Stan, uh, he, he skipped out on us, but uh, it was uh, Brent and, and Dave and I went Friday afternoon and uh, 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 saw the movie. And of course, uh, you know, the message, uh, you know, the message is really sort of an attack, you know, on, on uh the reliability of Scripture, on who Jesus was, on, on the message of the gospel. And so, um, but it's a great opportunity for us to be talking about Jesus with those around us. What an opportunity. People are going to say, have you seen the thing? Or what you? And so we want you to be prepared for that, to be able to be informed. And so if someone brings that up, that you'll be able to say, you know, actually, uh, you know, I have, I've read something on that, or I've seen it, or I've, you know, heard a message, or, you know, at fact, we're having a message this, church, uh, this weekend in our church. And so this next weekend, Pastor Dave will be bringing a message on that. Just encourage you to be here. We're going to have some materials free of charge for you that will uh, be helpful as well. And we'll also um, have uh, uh, some uh, books uh, for sale as well if you want to delve deeper. But uh, may this be a week where God just moves in your life. May it be a week where it's a supernatural week. May it be a week that you're growing in spiritual knowledge because these are all good things. But more than anything else, may it be a week where you're growing in love and that we're learning as a congregation how to love one another, how to love those in our family, how to love those that we work with because Jesus was very clear about it. He said, by this all men shall know that you are my disciples. It's not by your knowledge or it's not by your power, but it's by your, your love, right? May God be with you this week, and we'll see you next week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org, where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening.